So we move into Matthew 13 this morning, and we're looking at this section that we're in as kingdom truth for the open heart. Kingdom truth for the open heart. This morning, I hope to help you understand what I mean when I call this chapter kingdom truth for the open heart. If you recall, the kingdom had partly come to earth as the king Jesus was on the scene. The King Jesus wasn't showing all of his glory and power as he walked the earth as the God-man, so the kingdom was not fully expressed. So this is what it would mean when, when Jesus would say, the kingdom has come, but yet the kingdom of heaven will be like this, or the, when the kingdom comes. In chapter 13 of Matthew, Matthew groups several of Jesus' parables together that explain aspects of the kingdom. A parable is a statement or a story about something to which we can relate. Okay, We as pastors or maybe you as a parent or grandparent, you might give an illustration of a point that you're trying to make to someone. You might say, my point is this. And it's kind of like this. And that second thing you're sharing is something from life that, that the person can grab a hold of, that they've experienced, that they understand, that could illustrate something that's a little harder to understand. Well, usually when a parable is taught, rather than the point being made and then the illustration, the parable is given kind of like the illustration first. It's kind of like just an introduction to the idea. Gets the person thinking because it's connecting with something that they experience in their life. A parable is intended to teach something to those who are interested in the truth behind it. So we're going to be learning from Jesus' parables during these weeks, specifically these parables in chapter 13, and Matthew places them here because they have to do with aspects of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see very quickly that a parable requires some follow-up from the speaker. Maybe asking, what did you mean by that? Or the speaker saying, okay, so when I said that, this is what I mean. It requires some further explanation in order to be understood. Think of what some modern-day parables someone might use to express themselves, right? They might, they might talk about their, their school's basketball team. I won't, I won't name any school basketball teams here, but they might say, our basketball team is like a shot that circles the rim five times and then falls off the side. You can picture that. You've seen that happen. You kind of know what the person's talking about. You know, what if, what if a, a husband wrote in his, his wife's anniversary card, our marriage is like a water bucket with a hole in the bottom? She'd be sitting there going, okay, are you saying there's no point in putting any love into it because it's just going to drain out? Or are you saying that if we want to keep it full of love, we just got to keep pouring more love into it? And I'm willing to do that. It requires some explanation. What if a wife said to her husband, honey, when you get a hold of a new idea, you're like a dog with a new chew toy. It's like, hmm. Okay, so either I'm happy that I'm learning something new and, and I'm kind of in my zone 
or I attack it until I remove the squeaker and leave it a deflated version of its former self. Which one is it? You can see how a parable just opens up the discussion in a way. And so Jesus is teaching the crowd in parables, and it leads to his disciples asking him, <clears throat> his followers, his, the people that follow along with him, asking him, and we pick up in verse 10. <clears throat> you may notice we're skipping verses 1 through 9, and I'll explain that a little bit later. But he says, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And moving on here in, verse in chapter 2, verse 13 we read, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not understand. They do not see. <laughs> okay, because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts, heart has grown dull. And their ears, with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So having explained that there have always been people who hear but not understand. In verse 16 through 17, Jesus explains the blessing that it is to learn from him. Where we read, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and do not see it, and to hear what you hear, and do not hear it. <clears throat> in these, these verses, and in the rest of, of our passage, Jesus speaks of you and them. And this leads to our title this morning, which is a question. Am I a you or a them? Am I a you or a them? I, I think that this question accurately reflects these verses, and it also reflects the whole chapter. I want to encourage you to read this chapter with this question in mind, maybe sometime this week. Am I a you or a them? And I believe you'll find almost every parable reflects that the crowd is made up of those who are just hearing as well as those who are listening with open hearts. So the explanation provided at the top of your notes here so that you kind of understand what I mean by a them and a you. In Matthew 13, a them describes the people who would hear Jesus' parables and walk away. But a you were those who followed him in order to learn from him what he meant. Don't hear in this question, am I a you or a them? Don't hear this is asking, am I saved or not? Don't hear that. 
A believer can be a them any time that we're not leaning into our relationship with Jesus to learn from him. Although someone who never follows Jesus is not saved, someone who never places their trust in Christ for their salvation, in his payment for the penalty of our sins, they definitely fall into the them for their whole life. Here's three questions from our passage that can help us to discern the answer to this question. Am I a you or a them? Do you pursue a greater understanding from God? When you do, you're what Jesus means when he turns to his followers and say, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Is your heart tender to God's truth? Can you identify with the blessing of receiving God's truth? This is actually the three ideas that we're drawing out of our verses here this morning. Now, I'd like to unpack this question of, am I a you or a them in these verses with that first question, do you uh, pursue a greater understanding from God? Jesus says, then the disciples came to and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Uh, so so we, we see in this idea, <clears throat> in the scenario of a parable, Jesus tells a story, all right, like that, that modern parable of, of the... Uh, the, the wife saying to her husband, you know, when you get a hold of a new idea, it's like a dog with a new chew toy. All right? And Jesus kind of continues on. And some stop and go, whoa, I got I to gotta, I gotta listen here. I got I to gotta know what he's talking about. Jesus, what do you mean by that? You see, that's what it means to follow Christ as his disciple to listen further, to ask more questions, to want to know more. So the first nine verses are the parable of the sower. This is, this is why we're not getting into them here this morning. Because in the first nine verses, we see an example of Jesus telling a parable. And then we have this interlude in which we have the explanation of why he's teaching in parables. And then he follows up in verse 18 with those who have followed along with him. And he says, let me explain the parable of the sower to you. So the majority of the crowd that he tells this parable to are, no, are not there when he goes on to explain what he was talking about. They just got the introduction. They just got the illustration without the point that it's intended to be made. Jesus' disciples here are the picture of what it means to follow Christ, to lean in, to listen. We have an opportunity to understand what's meant, what it means to be Jesus' disciple, his, called his followers, and why they, we call them followers of Christ, why we should refer to ourselves as followers of Christ. The disciple would follow Jesus to hear his teaching. In this instance, hearing more of what he meant by the parable that he's just taught. 
And when you pursue a greater understanding from God, it allows you to get to know Jesus. Jesus says his followers know what remains a mystery to others. This term know means to get to know something or someone. It's not like knowing a fact or knowing a password. To get to know a person. He, He says, it has been... To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. He also says that this is given to them, not a, not, not a sign that they were the really smart ones, right? It's not like you guys understand because you got a higher IQ than all these others. No, he's saying it's been given to you. It's been granted. It's the same word in, a, in the parable of the soils when he, when he talks about the ground that, that produces fruit. It's been produced in you. And and what it's producing is is knowing what it is that I'm talking about. How are they knowing it? He's going to explain it to them. They don't just like, oh, I get it. No, they're following along with him. Because they're following along with him, it's going to be given to them. And it's going to produce fruit in them. The opportunity to know God, to produce fruit, is a gift that we should not take for granted. And it helps as we pursue and follow Jesus to more, learn more from him. Jesus speaks of a clear division, as I mentioned. You, his followers who pursue him, and them who don't. And if, they, the, if, if the them, if they cared enough, they would be following him to learn what he meant when he taught but it was clear that they didn't understand who Jesus was or what he taught because they weren't following. If they followed him to learn more, they quite possibly would understand. Kind of like a reporter that asks a question and the person says, you know, gives an answer and then they're going to follow up. They're going to ask some follow-up questions. You know, they got a reply, so they're going to, so, so what did you mean when you said that? You know, um, I love I love uh, walking through with either our small group or I, I hope to do some Sunday night electives on this. It's called demystifying Bible study. Bible study always starts with questions. It starts with saying, "What does this mean here? What is this talking about?" It, it, it's about. Figuring out what is your curiosity and chasing that curiosity. But I, I love to even, even as I'm, if I'm starting to make those observations, ask those questions, it's a dialogue with the Lord as I'm, as I'm writing these observations down as a sermon. What do you mean when you say this? Are you saying you don't want people to know you as Savior? That doesn't seem like it fits your character. It's an interaction. It's a following Jesus saying, what are you talking about here? And we can do that in personal Bible study for sure. And when you pursue a greater understanding from God, it allows you to also get to know Jesus more. Jesus replies, they're asking him about this parable, and he gives them a parable. Pretty sure this is, this is a parable kind of, it's kind of this fact of life. For to the one who has, more will be given, And he will have an abundance. 
But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is kind of like an economic fact of life. It's the old, it takes money to make money. Jesus explains this division with what seems like this fact of life. Those who have stuff, money, ambition, love, common sense, they tend to get more of it. Those who don't have money, ambition, love, common sense, they tend to go, continue to go without. Sadly, it's the person that can't get ahead that ends up spending all of their money on rent and uh, biggie cups from the gas station. It's usually the people that have money that are able to invest money and they're able to, to you know, provide the place to rent that tend to build more money. You, you've heard the law of compounding interest. Interest is built by those who are investing. And when interest isn't built early and often, it's hard to catch up. Jesus is pointing to the law of compounding spiritual interest. Those who are interested tend to learn. And when they learn, they tend to get more interested. They tend to learn more. It's the law of compounding spiritual interest. Don't take for granted that, that you're curious and hungry to understand God's truth and how he's designed for you to live in relationship with him. Chase that curiosity. Do you pursue a greater understanding from God? This isn't a relationship with God's word, people. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not pursuing a greater understanding of God's truth, although that's beneficial. This is a relationship with the God of the word. Pursuing a greater understanding from God. Following Christ as his disciple. The same way that Jesus teach, is teaching, his teaching is inviting his followers to follow him to learn what it is that he means, God doesn't always put everything on the bottom shelf for us. He intends for us to follow him and learn to love what he loved, to learn how to love how he loves. So ask yourself, do I pursue a greater understanding from God when you are you're following Christ? The next question to help you answer, am I a you or a them, is this. Is your heart tender toward God's truth? Jesus goes on to share how um, the majority of the crowd that listened to his teachings, they were fitting into a prophecy having to do with, uh, that was given to Isaiah. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. For indeed in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And so Isaiah it, it, uh, sees this vision in heaven and, and, and it's, the call goes out in heaven. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am Lord. This is Isaiah 6. Send me. And God s tells Isaiah... Okay, you're going to go and you're going to speak my truth and they are not going to listen to you. And so Jesus is quoting the Septuagint translation of this. You will indeed hear and never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. 
And with their ears they can barely hear. And with their eyes, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. The people who heard Jesus, Jesus but weren't following him, they were hearing but not listening. They weren't understanding that his teaching was worth seeking to understand. They were sitting there going, eh, yeah, doesn't mean anything to me. Back to my work. To understand means to grasp something enough to change one's thinking or behavior. The reason is provided from the prophecy of Isaiah. For this people's heart has grown dull. Like the prophecy of Isaiah, Jesus' prophetic ministry about the kingdom was falling mostly on deaf ears. Most stayed with the status quo remaining in their self-righteous unbelief. And the explanation is that their heart had grown dull. The, the term dull means fat, hardened, sluggish. It sounds like spiritual heart disease. It's not that Jesus wouldn't welcome their repentance or had given up on them. He's simply stating the situation here. You're following along with me to learn more of what I'm talking about. They're staying behind, scratching their heads saying, I don't get it. Because they didn't understand. They didn't hear me in the first place. Here in this too, he's not saying his followers, you're the smart ones. You get it. No, in the, in the following verses will show us that. <clears throat> so uh, over this past week or so, we've seen Lake Balhinch show up again. Right over there on 47. You know, the, the, the creeks are swelling. The, the drainage ditch out in front of the church is, is just full of water. We haven't gotten that much rain, right? So what's going on? Well, the ground is frozen. I mean, we had a hard freeze, and now the water can't soak in. It's just staying on top and running off and finding the creek and flowing away. It can be the same way with our hearts. That's what we're being told here. This is what we'll be told in the parable of the sower. When Jesus says, you know, some of the seed, which represents the word, fell on hard ground. And the birds come and eat it and take it away. And it can never penetrate. Being told here, a heart that cannot absorb God's truth is just too hard and cold and frozen. It's not a problem of the word. It's not a problem you know, I, I, I get an excuse here. It's not a problem of the preacher. It's a problem of the heart. For you, maybe the parables are like listening to a sermon. Maybe you don't understand a word I'm saying. Maybe you do, but you go home and forget it. If you're not pursuing an understanding of God's word, if you're not putting in the time and energy to prayerfully read God's word and seek his will, and your question is, why can't I seem to find God's will for my life? Jesus says, follow me. Lean a little closer. 
Ask me for an explanation. Don't stop short of letting God teach you what he means. You know, I can remember, uh, you know, if I'd be working with power tools uh, with, with someone else and, and they're about to run the skill saw or, or, you know, something really loud, I'd stop and say, hold on, wait a second. You know, this was even like five years ago. Let me put in my earplugs. And I'm putting in my earplugs, and I would explain, I want to hear my grandchildren one day. I don't want to dull my ears. I don't want to ruin my ears. You know, a welder, uh, the guys down in Haiti when we were down some years ago, they, they would, rather than wearing a face shield, they just kind of put on a pair of sunglasses and weld, and it's like, okay, these are some eyes that are not going to do well. In the same way, we can expose ourselves to things that dull our love for God, that dull our hearing, that dull our sight. Pursuing fulfillment of our desires outside of the boundary that he puts on our lives. If that's the case for you, you're causing your heart to become callous and uncaring and unwilling to follow after Jesus to learn from him. Ask yourself, is my heart tender to God's truth? Why? Or why not? The last question this morning to help you understand, am I a you or a them? Is can you identify with the blessing of receiving God's truth? Jesus says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. As fathers of Christ, we should consider ourselves blessed that we have a relationship with God. It's like having ears and eyes that start working after living as a blind or deaf person. And the intention seems to be to help the follower of Christ to recognize that this is a blessing rather than something that we deserve. The veiled eyes or the earplugs of sin, self-righteousness and pride have been removed. He goes on to talk about how many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it. The blessing that we followers of Christ should recognize also has to do with the place that we live in, in biblical history. There were godly people who lived before Jesus' day who didn't have the opportunity to see Jesus fulfill what had been promised of the Messiah. Peter writes about how even the Old Testament prophets weren't as, weren't as privileged as we are to know about Christ. 1 Peter 1.12, we read, It was revealed to them that they, these Old Testament prophets, were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You've heard the question asked before, and you know it's kind of a philosophical one. If a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? You know, and there's a follow-up of if a, if a wife asks her husband to pick something up from the store on the way home from work, did it make a sound? 
so that one's that one doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about here. But the reason why the question, the philosophical question of if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? Is because what the tree actually does is it sends reverberations through the air. It sends out waves of vibration. But if there's not an ear there to hear it, and for it to, to vibrate the, the inner ear, and for that to be trans, translated by nerves and then received and interpreted by the brain into actual sound? That's the kind of the question being asked there. Our ears and nerves transform the waves into signals, and our brains can interpret and understand. But there's plenty of people that that have ears, but they can't hear. They're deaf. They have eyes, but they can't see. They're blind. Well, we can debate whether a tree in, in the woods actually makes a sound if only a deaf person were there. But God is clear that his glory is on display whether we notice it or not. Some have spiritual ears and eyes that work, that can hear and see the truth. And others have spiritual ears and eyes that don't work and that cannot hear and see the truth. Think about this. The furthest star from us in in the universe burns just as bright and hot as any other star in its star group even though nobody is there to see it. It still burns for God's glory. Jesus explained that when this when someone told him to make people stop worshiping him. In Luke 19, he says to them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. God is going to get his glory. The question is, are we listening to his truth, are we understanding who he is and will we have the joy of being a part of glorifying him? We should be humbled for the gospel truths that we understand. We should recognize the blessing and the responsibility that we have for the knowledge that is available to us concerning Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We should be grateful when our eyes see God's glory in this world And in his word, we should feel privileged when our ears hear and understand his excellent truth. And we should ask God what needs to change when we don't understand. What needs to change about us? We should ask Jesus, what do you mean by that? Our bigger question from this message is this, am I a you or a them? Do you pursue a greater understanding from God? Is your heart tender toward God's truth? Can you identify with the blessing of receiving God's truth? Of course, what is the most primary that we understand and receive is what we are called to remember. Jesus says, remember, remember my sacrifice. We are called, just as he said, there were many prophets and many righteous people that did not get to see what you see. And we live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the resurrection. 
Even some of those that, that were listening to Jesus in, in here in Matthew 13 that's being described here didn't even live to see Jesus' resurrection. But here we have been given something to remember, something to hold forward to others, something to, to dwell on, to meditate on. And it strikes me over and over again that what Jesus tells us to remember and to meditate on is his worst moment. Is the moment that any other person would be embarrassed for others to think of. When he hung naked and bleeding and weak and broken and crying out to his father like the son that he is. One day we'll see in Matthew 26 that Jesus catches his disciples by surprise while they're eating Shabbat together and the Passover. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to give you an application here. Follow Jesus and ask, Rabbi, what do you mean? That your blood was given for me. Rabbi, what does it mean that this is your body? Rabbi, what should this mean to me today? What should this mean to me this week? Why did you ask me? Tell me to remember you in this way. Lean into him. Follow him. And listen for his response. Let's bow our heads. Jesus... We ask you what you mean. Rabbi, what do you mean by this? What do you mean for me from this? What does this mean? about my sin. What does this mean about my pain?
What does your broken body and your spilt blood mean about my unsaved loved ones? What are you saying about my relationships, my marriage, my family? Father, you gave us the ultimate illustration, the ultimate parable in the breaking of your son. You made him into a sacrificial lamb. You provided the offering that you didn't require Abraham to give. You provided the atonement. You put an end to sacrifice. Jesus made one offering for sin and sat down at the right hand of the Most High. But Lord, with everything that you've done, I pray that you keep us asking, that you keep us leaning in, that you keep us following you to be taught. And I pray that you would teach us through this simple act. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.